I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Kenya's High Commissioner to South Africa, who is also accredited to the Kingdom of Iswatini and Kingdom of Lesotho, High Commissioner Catherine Moigai Mwangi. Some of her previous appointments include ambassadorships in Ethiopia, Djibouti, as well as Ireland. She has also served as the permanent representative to the African Union and United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. Welcome to the show, High Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Amalea Malka. I'm delighted uh, to join you this afternoon um, as we discourse and share on this very important and uh, very significant uh, topic. Hi, Commissioner, you came into your South African portfolio in the middle of COVID-19, which must have been incredibly challenging. Absolutely. Um, I came um, into South Africa to Pretoria, uh, where I'm resident, uh, in the middle of January of this year. And that's when the COVID numbers were extremely high and, and, and the death count was also extremely high. That was very unnerving uh, for me. But what was even more difficult is is trying to settle in as a diplomat in a new country. Our work as diplomats is really engagement with the host country, with businesses, with other ambassadors and high commissioners. That's what really, really our work is about. So when you're sitting and trying to meet people over the phone or through Zoom meetings, Uh, One is not able to visit with government offices. One is not able to visit parts of the country or even uh, this beautiful city of Pretoria. It does make it very, very, very challenging uh, to settle in and really feel a part of this community and really feel that you're starting to make some sort of impact or to sort of introduce yourself and, 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 and what uh, your priorities might be as high commissioner. So indeed, it was very challenging. Well, we hope that this platform will go some way towards being able to introduce you to a broader public in this almost non-contact environment that we find ourselves in today. Absolutely. And and, and that's why I am delighted uh, when I have opportunity like this, when I can share, you know, with, 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 my host country um, and, and, and all the stakeholders that, that uh, would be uh, listening in or that uh, would have access uh, to this platform. That's why I did not hesitate, uh, uh, Dr. Malka, when you invited me to come and speak uh, on this program. Well, we greatly appreciate your time. Hi, Commissioner, over the years, you've served Kenya in numerous roles, both in the foreign affairs space as well as the private sector. Please, can you share with us a few of the key landmarks in your career to date? Um, thank you. Yes, I, I've, I've had, I've had um, a, a long career spanning over many years. 
And uh, you're absolutely right, both in the private sector where I began and then into public sector uh, where I, I then got into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and into diplomacy. So my private sector uh, experience is, is your typical private uh, sector um, sort of grind and um, uh, performance and, and delivery on set targets. I worked for our national airline, uh, Kenya Airways. Uh, before that, I had worked as, as general manager of uh, FedEx. And before that, I'd also had an opportunity to work as a reporter in, 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 in one of our leading newspapers. So it, it was a very, you know, sort of uh, exciting time of my life. And then I then got into, into the uh, public sector and I was appointed as uh, ambassador to Ireland. And this was significant because this was my first engagement with diplomacy. And yet I was appointed to go and open the first resident embassy in Ireland. And um, it was a fantastic experience. The Irish are wonderful people, they're very, very, very friendly. They've worked a lot in Africa. They had worked in my own country. So it was a wonderful experience. And, and one of really, one of the things that I must say that I achieved apart from, of course, operationalizing that mission was that um, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Trade of Ireland appointed me to chair the Africa Island Economic Forum. And this was an initiative to stimulate Africa Island economic activity. And the outcome was, of this was we saw increased interest in Kenya and indeed Africa as a business and trade partner. Before that, Ireland focused on Africa as a trade recipient. They set up schools and hospitals in Africa, so they were basically missionaries. But this initiative really put us on, on a different setting and, and, and even to date, there's been such growth in economic activity between Africa and Ireland. So I'm particularly proud of that. Of course, my experience in, in, in Ethiopia uh, especially as the permanent representative to the African Union, was also extremely fruitful. The African Union is where we discuss issues of Africa, matters of Africa, and, and, and therefore all 55 African countries are represented there. We meet, and apart from, of course, discussing uh, Africa's interests, for, you know, for instance, integration, we need to be able to move around each other's uh, countries, you know, free movement of people, free trading and free movement of, of, of finance, which of course bore fruit to the African continental free trade area. And uh, so, so, so the debates at the African Union were fantastic. And, um, and of course, it, it's, it's, it's an intergovernmental organization. So all 55 countries are going for the same thing. We are looking to host uh, African Union um, organs, for instance, here in South Africa, you host uh, NEPAD, you host APRM, you hold, host the Pan-African Parliament. In Kenya, uh, we, we host uh, an organization that was set up to deal with remittances. Remittances generated um, overseas by our diaspora. How can we put it to use on a scale that will benefit Africa? And we host uh, an organ for the university. Uh, you have continental university arms, South Africa hosts one, Kenya hosts another, Senegal hosts another. So there's always a competition 
for ensuring that your interests as a country are not subsumed by other countries or completely forgotten because of continental interests elected. So, so in short, I can say that it's, it's been a very interesting and very productive time for me. That is a fantastic overview of the incredibly exciting and diverse work and achievements that you've accomplished to date. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Kenya's High Commissioner to South Africa, who is also credited to the Kingdom of Iswatini and Kingdom of Lesotho, Catherine Mwegai Mwangi. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. I wanted to ask you a little bit more probing with regards to the work that you were doing in, in setting up the Africa Island Economic Forum and what that means for women in terms of opportunities to trade. And please share the, the Kenyan perspective. Um, thank you. Um, what I've always tried to focus on is even as I represent my country in its entirety, I must look for opportunity for women. Where is it that we can get advantage for women? And um, one of the things that we did was in the education sector. And I managed to uh, negotiate for uh, scholarships uh, for young women to do a a joint um, education venture so that they'll do most of their studies online, but also just go to Ireland for a short time to sit for their examinations and certification because of the cost of it. And then also looked for opportunities to build capacity amongst women entrepreneurs, especially those in small and medium-sized enterprises. We had a few programs running where we, we had Irish people coming to Kenya, looking at areas, especially in agriculture, because we're predominantly, like most African countries, we're an agricultural society and women are the ones who till the land. They're the ones who actually farm because we're not talking about these big commercial farms. We're talking about small scale farming where a woman has a few herds of cattle, has a little garden that they grew. So the Irish were excellent at upscaling the capacity of these women so that their farming methods were improved and their output uh, therefore improved and increased. And in some cases, they found markets uh, for some of these products. The Irish, um, with their background, I guess, as, as, as missionaries, have a capacity to really engage and engage with those that feel need support, need to be uplifted uh, in society. And, and, and that worked extremely well uh, for the women in Kenya in various areas, but mainly those in, in, in agriculture and those that uh, produce uh, various artifacts, baskets or weaving. When we came to artifacts and things like that, that teach on standards to ensure that the production and the outcome is of high enough standard so that it would be acceptable in markets outside of Kenya and that we'd be able to get the markets, even if it's island or beyond island. 
It wasn't large scale. We weren't able to reproduce it across the country, but where we did, there was definitely great benefit and you could see it in the improvement of the lives of the families of these women. And listening to what you say there, it seems as though you had this whole value chain scenario in place. So not only was it about imparting the requisite skills and generating quality products and produce, but then being able to take those items onto market, whether it was in a local context or international context, and being able to see the end game of of a sale, and then having this long-term benefit to the woman who participated in these initiatives. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, and, and that's why it was um, just so satisfying. And that's why the women were so enthusiastic because they could see it. They could see it from when they pick something from the soil to the final product, to the return in terms of money and then what they were able, how they were able to improve the livelihoods of their families. High Commissioner, in general, what would you say the state of gender equality is like in Kenya? Um, Dr. Malka, really, the, the state is not optimum. We are far from achieving gender equality. I am the first to admit that we've come a long way, even in my own years, um, that I have seen improvement but we're definitely not where we should be. Um, there's still gender inequality uh, in many aspects of life. It is of concern, it is of concern, and we, we, we must continue to advocate, and not just advocate, ensure that, uh, that legislation, policy uh, is in place to ensure that uh, this, this, this issue of, of, of gender inequality is being dealt with practically as opposed to just being conversations around uh, a conference table. Uh, every individual must have an equal opportunity in all spheres of life, you know, and they should not be, nobody should be discriminated, discriminated against for any reason whatsoever, especially and definitely not because of gender. It's such a challenge, though, to overcome, I'm going to say, outdated and outmoded patriarchal views. For instance, we've just recently had a conversation with the chairperson of the National Council of Provinces because they were doing a review of the Women's Charter. And the Women's Charter was a document which, if my dates are correct, initially started in 1954 and was all about promoting the type of rights and expectations of women. It was then taken to parliament in 1994 for the first democratic um, sitting. And then there was a subsequent review. And the biggest challenge, uh, what she expressed to me in, in a similar fashion to what you're saying is that we have legislation, we have um, aspects which are all saying, you know, we need this for women, we need that for women, whether it's from an education point of view, whether it is uh, an equal rights perspective. But half the time, these components are remaining paper rhetoric, and we've got to move to a point where they're implemented. Absolutely. In 2011, K 
Kenya promulgated a new constitution. And in the constitution, it, it stipulates very clearly a two thirds gender quota system, which was meant to promote women's political leadership. To date, since 2011, this has not been implemented. Parliament still has not passed legislation to implement this two thirds quota. So, so you're right. There's legislation, there's everything, the laws, everything is there, but it's just not being implemented. There appears to be no will in certain instances. And really, it comes back to the fact that we're a minority. For instance, this parliamentary issue, women are minority. So when the issue comes up in parliament, which it has several times, it doesn't pass. Legislation doesn't get effective because the women are in the minority and the men have refused to pass legislation. So, so it's sort of like, you know, catch-22 situation. We need sufficient women in parliament to pass this legislation, for instance, but we will never get enough women in parliament because we can't even implement the two-thirds quota. Um, so, so, so yes, I, I think these, this is the frustration. This is the frustration, not just in Kenya, but you just quoted um, a situation here in South Africa. Um, and, and, and I think that um, maybe just, just now, what I've just thought of, women need now to work together across borders more than ever before, so that we're not trying to deal with these issues as the women of Kenya but that we're trying to deal with these issues as the women of Kenya plus the women of Tanzania plus the women of Zimbabwe plus the women of South Africa. So we can share experiences, we can push back, we, we, we can speak, I suppose, with louder voices, but with a commonality of purpose. So, so we're not just pushing a Kenyan position, we're pushing a position for African women, but where all women of Africa individually in our individual countries will benefit. Uh, because really it, it, it is, it does cause a level of frustration in how it is we're going to jump over these hoops that seem to just be put there, you know, um, to ensure they deter women from their rightful place. And if you can't get critical mass internally, like you said, this has been going in Kenya since 2011. So this is 10 years down the line, a decade, and the mobilization still hasn't brought through through to fruition. But if there's an opportunity of being able to go across borders to mobilize the mass of women, whether it's through an African Union initiative, hopefully that will be something which changes the dynamic of the power base. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the African Union should be doing more. They should be engaging more on this, on on women issues, but it comes back to the majority of heads of states who determine the decisions at the assembly level, amen. Majority of the ministers of foreign affairs, amen. Majority of the permanent representatives, amen. So, so it, it, it really is um, that vicious circle. And that's why I'm saying you're so right that our, our continental body should be discussing this issue because it's a critical issue. It really affects everything. It's, it's not just about women. It's, a, it's about development. Women constitute more than 50% of the world's population. 
by keeping women out, you're keeping half of the capacity out of engaging in a practical way in all aspects of life. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Kenya's High Commissioner to South Africa, who is also credited to the Kingdom of Eswatini and Kingdom of Lesotho, Catherine Moigai Mwangi. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Whilst we're speaking about statistics, like you said, almost every country, we are 50%, maybe 51% representation of women. I looked at the Interparliamentary Union's statistics, and it indicated that only five countries in the world have 50% or more female representation in Parliament. But the global average stands at 26% of female MPs, illustrating that most parliaments are male-dominated. How do you think we can shift the dial and get more women on board and I particularly speak about this from a, a political point of view, because I believe that when women are shown in positions of power, they are um, more visible and that that has a cascading effect into other areas of society. I think the first thing is that women must want to get into the political space. More women must engage with politics. More women must seek political positions. Now, there's a host of reasons why women don't do this. What, what I used to see in my country is that politics or campaigning for elections was sometimes even violent. It was difficult for women to be in that space because it was a very unfriendly space. So, so, so that made many women reluctant to seek those political um, positions. That, as I say, is changing. It is no longer so hostile. And uh, one can basically go about, they're seeking for votes, as we call it. They're campaigning without worry that they'll be in, in, in any way abused or molested. But secondly, what I find very interesting is that um, in my country, the people who vote are women. If you walk around polling stations, it's the women who are queuing outside those polling stations to vote. Why are women not voting for women? Because even where you have women candidates, you will find that they're not getting voted in. What is it? What is this credibility gap? What is it that makes women not trust uh, other women with a political position? What is the credibility gap? Why do women feel that Another woman cannot represent them in parliament. Because really, if women voted for women, then this whole scenario would change. Then you'd have 75% women in parliament. And by extension, in other positions, because then they can pass legislation that will favor uh, women. So, so there's that element of women 
putting themselves out there and seeking political space. There's the element of women trusting other women that they can represent them in parliament and that there's dignity in electing a woman and that you can trust this woman that when she does go to parliament or wherever it is that she's representing you, she will do so with efficiency and effectiveness. And then finally to say that um, there's opportunity now, especially for the younger people, the youth to be engaged in these processes and these conversations. Now, as I say, it's a process that's going on, but I think the people who might change this will be the youth. That's such an interesting process that you've just described and looking at the different alternatives and some of the mechanisms that are in place. For instance, the fact that you've got so many women who are the majority voters, but not, or let's say reluctant of voting a woman in, of how to be able to instill trust in women's capabilities and competence and bringing in the youth factor. And if all of these elements can play into the right shape and frame, then we would perceivably have more women occupying leadership roles and becoming the voices of the women that they represent. Absolutely. And then um, that um, we women who are in leadership, whatever leadership it is, we, we have a huge role to play. You know, when we talk about being role models, it can't be just we're saying we're role models and we're expecting these young women to look up to us and say, when I grow up, I want to be so that's not sufficient. It's it's important that this this role modeling is practical so that these young women understand why it is so 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 important to move this to the next level, why it is so important because it will impact not just them as individually, but it will impact their families, it will impact their communities, it will impact their countries, the region, the world at large. And, and what does it mean? What, what does, does it actually gen, genuinely mean? You know, I, I should be talking to women, for instance, who are in, in, in diplomacy and sharing my story and sharing my journey and where were the challenges? What did it mean to be in foreign service? How would it impact your family? How, what, what are the challenges you might come across? So that people don't shy away before they start and people don't get shocks once they get into a situation and give up. So, so, so this whole issue of um, mentoring or being role models, any woman who's in any position to share anything that can encourage um, a young person, a young woman. And it's not just people in corporate business, people in high office, people in, it, it, it's anybody, including those who have managed to upscale their agricultural um, methods and they are doing better because of this. That is a lesson that we should be teaching our young people and, and sharing. So these are the things I'm saying that we must change the way we think and in the process help change the way our young people think and, and so that they can move up to the next level and achieve so much more in their lifetimes than we ever could.
Yes, I completely agree with you. There makes no sense in my view of having to go and repeat somebody else's lessons, use their lessons and go and learn your own. Hi, Commissioner. We've chatted about women in leadership. Please, can you tell us about a couple of women who you consider to be important change agents in Kenya? Um. We had right from the beginning uh, when we went into the fight for independence. Well, it was before we finally got independence in 1963. We had women who fought alongside men uh, in that fight for independence. And, um, they, and they played various roles, even if it was the role of feeding um, the men is, is, is the one on the front lines even if it was taking messages uh, from one part of the country to another. But these women stood shoulder to shoulder uh, with, with men and they, 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 they played a critical role. And we have several of them. Unfortunately, when then the discussions uh, were held in Lancaster in the UK, there was not one woman around that table. Um, there were just men. Okay, but we had those women who, who sacrificed their lives and some died uh, to, to, to do that. Then, of course, we have had women who dared to enter, especially the political field, which, as I said, was, was a very hostile environment. And um, then we had women, I'm not saying names because I don't know whether people will recognize their names, but these women like Wangari Mathai, Wangari Mathai, uh, was an environmentalist. She was awarded uh, a Nobel Peace Prize for her work in environmental uh, matters. She stood up against the administration when they, 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 they were trying to sell off forest land for development and she she it was it was a horrifying uh, experience and and but she stood her, her ground and and hence she got the nobel peace prize so and, and so she 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 came up with with many you know many many firsts and if i'm not mistaken was she not given the name mama trees yes absolutely she was given the name mama trees she she was recognized in africa she was recognized you know, in the world, because she really, she used to hug a tree. She, she, her pictures, if you see her, she's hugging with her arms. She used to hug the trees and say she's going to protect them with her life. So, so we've had women who, who have, you know, who have been, have, have had many firsts. We have one of our judges in the Supreme Court, in fact, in the Court of Appeal. She, she's, she's put forward for, for, for legislation, a law uh, on um, that any man who rapes a woman should be castrated. Of course, it never saw the light of day because the men in, in parliament didn't pass it, but she actually introduced that legislation. For me, that, that was substantive. That was a bold woman. She put herself out there and said, "This, you know, we have to discuss this. This, 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 these cases of young girls or even old women being raped," and she put that forward. So, so there's been many women in Kenya who've done a great deal um, for women, and you know, give women a voice in the country. Hi, Commissioner. We're coming towards the end of the show, and. 
What I'd like to ask you now is more of a personal question relating to your personal journey. And that's about what you consider to be some of the factors that have contributed to your success. Some of our guests have spoken about perseverance, hard work, discipline. Others have spoken about the fear of failure. Could you please share with us, in your opinion, what you think have been some of the key drivers to your success? What you just mentioned is true. I I think that for for, for any woman, let's start from there to succeed. One has to work extremely hard. One has to be diligent. One has to perform at very high levels in a very professional manner because um, the quality of work is judged very, very harshly for a woman and the professional angle so that there's never a question of how did you get to where you are? Was it, did you really earn it or did you get there by other means? So just that professionalism, diligence, hard work and discipline. I I think there's no equal for that. But then also, um, I think having a vision, having some idea of what is it, where is it you wish to go? What, What do you want to achieve with what it is that you're doing? I think it's very important to have clarity of mind of of how it is you wish your career life to look like. I, I think that, 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 that for me was very important. And then what was also very important for me was the support that I got from my family. My father was um, an old man by the time I was born. He was actually an old, old man. But he believed in his daughters. He, he believed that his daughters deserved the same opportunities as his sons did. And so he, he gave us the same opportunity at education and encouraged us. He, he, he stopped at nothing to, to, to ensure that we got the best in education and that we knew that we could achieve whatever it is that we set out to achieve. And my mother was, was, was a wonderful, gentle soul. And she's the one I would never have wanted to let down because she was an old person as well. She was not educated. So she sort of lived through us and she wanted us to succeed so much. You could see it in her eyes. You could hear it in her voice. And, and, and just because she didn't go to school didn't mean she didn't have wisdom. She was such a wise woman and she, she helped me so, so much along the way. And, and so for me, those are the things I think that have propelled me to, to, to where I am. Uh, and, 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 and really also, I guess I've had good mentors. I've had women that I could turn to when I felt I was getting defeated and I wasn't sure how to navigate uh, certain waters. Um, because as women, of course, we, we, we have the challenges of your trying to focus on your career, but you have a family life. And sometimes that can get compromised um, depending on your situation in the home and what your job entails. And, and even though just as I conclude, especially for those of us who are in foreign service, what does it mean when you have to go away from, you know, to another country or posting? So, so, so those were the challenges, but, but for me, that, 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 that's really what has done it, the hard work, the commitment, the professionalism and ensuring excellent quality of work and, and, and my family and then developing relationships. 
That is such a multifaceted perspective, one that speaks about personal endurance, personal commitment, but then the holistic view of support structures, of mentorship. And at the same time, it also speaks to the tensions that we as women face from how do you navigate whether you are addressing aspects from a work point of view? How do you contend with culture? How do you contend with taking a post in a different country? So those are, are certainly all complex components, and there isn't a, a simple cookie-cutter approach. Lastly, as we close out our conversation today, High Commissioner, please can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women that are listening to us on the continent? I really believe that one can achieve their dream and achieve their passion. I think it is important that we don't start from a point of defeat or a point of discouragement. We must not. We must not look at all the challenges that are around, some even perceived, and decide that we're defeated before we try, no. I think that um, any woman, any young woman, any woman at whatever level they're at, in whatever it is that is their heart's desire and what they want to achieve, it can happen, it can be done. It may be tough sometimes, but it can be done. And we must start off with that premise. We must start off with that, yes, this is my dream. This is my passion. This is where I want to go and I'm going to go there. I'm going to achieve this, which I desire to achieve. And then go for it. Just go for it with commitment, passion, determination. And I believe, I really believe more often than not, you will achieve it. And even if you miss the mark, it will not be by far. You will not tumble all the way to the ground. You may not achieve the optimum, but you will not be far from your optimum. That's such a fantastic message of positivity. We really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very, very, very much, uh, Dr. Amalea Malka. I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, this is something I'm passionate about, and um, I'm always available um, for such, you know, opportunities, discussions. Um, but really, I thank you very, very, very much for this opportunity. We wish you every success in your new role as you start to make South Africa your home from home. And may you continue to have more engagements um, across borders. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. And we have been talking to Kenya's High Commissioner to South Africa, who is also credited to the Kingdom of Iswatini and Kingdom of Lesotho, Catherine Moigai Mwangi. 